Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. We just pray as we are turning the pages that you will turn the pages of our hearts. Lord, thank you so much for a great, tremendous time of worship. And now, Lord, as we sit at your feet, we pray that we will learn from you. Lord, these are your precious people. Open up our eyes and our ears that we might see the things that you want us to see in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians 5 and verse 1. The title of this message is, Who Are You Imitating? Who are you imitating? We know that children learn by imitating their parents. Now, that can be good or bad. I mean, sometimes I used to hear my children, who are now grown and gone, used to hear my children arguing or fussing, and it sounds just like me in there. So children learn, and now uh, my, my youngest son here, he has a twin girl, the youngest, the youngest two are twin girls. So as they're, you know, eating and, you know, I get my big head in their face and I'm like, yeah, yeah will you get your pop pop, you know? And then you can see one of them like, uh, you know, trying to imitate the words that, that I'm saying to them. That's how children learn. So as believers in the Lord, we're told to imitate someone. And all the time we're not imitating the Lord. We're imitating something else. And I just want to help us today. As children, as believers, I want to help us. I want you to notice the very first verse there, Ephesians 5 verse 1. Notice what it says there. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Now, let me just take a minute to stop and show you my shirt. Some of you have already been trying to figure it out. You know, what, what is that? Okay. For those who were not here last time I, I taught, I, you know, I use a lot of Greek words. The New Testament was written in Greek. I use a lot of Greek words because the Greek language is more expressive than our English language. Our English language is limited. We have one word for love. And different kinds of love. The love I have for my wife is different from the love I have for my children. And that's different from the love that I have for cheesecake. Oh, it's all different. Different love. We just got the one word for love. But there are different kinds of love. The Greek language is more expressive. They have at least five different words for, for love. Uh, they have eros, where we get erotic, exotic, speaks of sexual, sensual love. They have phileo, where we get Philadelphia from. It's a city of brotherly love. It speaks of brotherly love. There is storge, which is the Greek word that describes the love a parent has for their children and vice versa. Now, the word agape, that speaks of God's love, divine love, that word was not a part of the original Greek language until the apostles introduced it into the language because the Greeks knew nothing about this type of love, God's love, divine love that gives and expects nothing in return. It's a love that gives with no strings attached to it. it the, the Greeks knew nothing about that. 
So this is why I bring out the Greek word. So, so it can expand your understanding of the verse or expand your understanding of that part of the verse that I'm emphasizing. So it's going to expand your understanding. So the Greek language is more expressive. This is why I teach the way I teach. I'm not using Greek words to try to impress you. I've been in ministry close to 40 years and I'm done with trying to impress people. That's over. So watch this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So the first thing we're told that we're to be imitators of God. Watch this as dear children. The root word for dear in the Greek is where we get agapeo, agape from. Be imitators of God as dear beloved children. Oh, let me just pause right here because I have to encourage some of you. Did you know that you're loved by God? That you're beloved by him? Oh, yes, you have messed up this week. You've messed up this month. You said you wouldn't do it again and you did it again. But the Lord still loves you. That you're loved by God. Somebody needs to hear this. That you're loved. You're loved by God. And that you're dear to him. Be imitators of God as dear children. That you're dear to him. And I just had to encourage some folks that had a tough week and a tough time that God loves you. And that you're dear to his heart. Notice what he says, therefore be imitators of God. The Greek word for imitators is mimitus. It's where we get our English word mimic from. It means to copy the the pattern or behavior of a mentor or someone you look up to. So we're told to be imitators of God as dear children. Now, watch this. I want to draw your attention to the first word there, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to see what is there for, because it is there for a reason. For you English major, therefore is a transitional conjunction that takes us back to what was previously said. So this would take us back into chapter four. Uh, to get the context, we need verse 25. Look what it says there. Therefore, oh, well, now this takes us back to verses 17 to 24. Now, in those verses, Paul is speaking to the believers in the city of Ephesus. He is telling them that there are some things they should take off and there are some things they should put on. There are some things that they should take off that will keep them from being imitators of God as dear children. I want to draw your attention. Notice what it says there in verse 22 of chapter four, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now he tell us, he told us to put off, notice, put off concerning your former conduct. Okay. I want to draw your attention to the phrase put off. The Greek word is apotathemi. It's an amazing Greek word. It's used throughout the New Testament. It means to put off, to lay aside, to put away. It carries the connotation of 
discarding dirty clothes. Like the clothes we have on right now, we will put them away. We will discard them. We will put them in the hamper, put them in the washer. We will discard of these dirty clothes. That's the word apothetemi. Now watch this. God will not leave us naked. He told us to put off something. We're going to need to put on something. And he tells us there, notice in verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a contrast between the former conduct we're told to put off with the new man that we're told to put on. The enduo is, is the Greek word for put on. It means to slip into something new, a new garment. You know, you, ladies, you know, you get something new. You look at it, you look at yourself in the mirror and you just, and you just, you're admiring that new outfit that you have on. That's the word enduo. So there are some things associated with our former conduct or our old life that we're told to apothetemi, we're told to put off because they will keep us from being imitators of God as dear children. Now, he's going to tell us, look what it says there in verse 25. Therefore, put in away line, let each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The first thing we're told to put off is to put away line. Now, I want you to notice something. Therefore, putting away lying. Putting away, the Greek word is apothetemi. This word is an amazing word. You see it throughout the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2, 1, put away all malice. In James 1, 21, uh, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. We see that in Hebrews 12, verse 1, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnare you. All those lay aside, put away, lay aside, apothetemi. So you see it throughout the New Testament. It means to discard, put away. So the first thing we're told to put away is lying. Keep in mind, he is speaking, Paul is speaking and addressing the church in the city of Ephesus. He's talking to believers. So the question is, can believers lie? Yeah. We watch this. We do it every Sunday when we come to church. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Oh, man, everything's great, man. <laughs> I'm doing well. And your wife left you. You lost your job and the sky is falling. But you told Jeff here that everything's great, bro. Everything's good. Hey, OK, all right, yeah, bro. Everything's good. We lie. You know, it reminds me of Moses. You remember when Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on top of the mountain with God. He got the Ten Commandments. You saw the, you know, you saw the Ten Commandments, the Cecil B. DeMille, you know, you, you saw he came down and, and he was glowing. He was glowing. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Moses had to put a veil over his face. I, I'm just thinking, I'm just like, when Moses came down from being in the presence of God, we know 1 John 1, 5 says God is light in him is no darkness at all. As he spent time with God who is light, when he came down, he was glowing. I just thought that when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 that Moses had to put a veil over his face, I thought because he came down, he was just so bright that people were like, whoa, Moses, whoa, bro, we can't take that light, man. Cover that up. Veil 
They'll let thing up. That's not what happened. Paul tells us that Moses put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not see that the glow was fading away. He covered up. He tried to mask, mask that he hadn't been in the presence of the Lord lately and he didn't want people to see it. And so too, many believers come to church with a mask on, with a veil, so no one can see to try to cover up that they haven't been in the presence of God lately. Don't want anybody to see. So that's, that's why. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Oh, man, everything's good. Everything's fine. That's a veil. That's a veil. Now, here's the thing. If you ask Jeff, how is everything going? Be prepared for him to possibly dump the truck on you. He, he's going to say, Pastor Tony said we ought to speak truth with our neighbor. Therefore, you ask me how I was doing, boop, boop, and, he's coming, and he's dumping the truck on you. So don't ask Jeff how he's doing if you don't want to really hear it. Just say, Jeff, good to see you today. All right now. Okay, okay. Put away lying. Let each speak truth with his neighbor. Notice, for we are members of one another. We're members of the body of Christ, no matter how we look on the outside. We're part of the body of Christ. I just happen to be in Newport News. But we're part of the body of Christ. So we have to put away lying. We're told to be imitators of God. John 8.44 calls Satan the father of lies. When we lie, We're imitating Satan and not God. So we got to put away lying. Let each speak truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. Look at the next verse. Look what it says there. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your raft. Be angry and don't sin. So there's a such thing as being angry and not sinning. We call it righteous indignation. Now, Many of us don't know the difference. Let me help you with that. Let me help you. If the name of Jesus and his word is being mocked, is being talked about, being blasphemed, and you get upset about it, you're getting close to what it means to have righteous indignation. But when you are being attacked and you get angry about it, oh, you're just angry. Don't say, oh, it's righteous indignation. No, you're angry. They're talking about you. But if it's the character and nature of God, his word is being blasphemed and you get upset about it, you're getting close to righteous indignation. That's what it is. But watch this. Let me help you with this a little bit. Notice it says be angry or gizzo is the Greek word. It's an amazing Greek word. But it means to irritate or to provoke. You remember in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. The word provoke there is para or gizzo. Same root word there. So it means to provoke, to anger. So it says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So there is something about the time we get angry that the clock is ticking. 
This is why I've told married couples all the time, do not go to bed angry with one another. Something happens when we allow the sun to go down on our anger. Something happens. Watch the context. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. When we allow the sun to go down on our anger, we give place to the devil. Watch this. Satan, he brings a buddy with him. When we allow the sun to go down on our anger, he brings one of his buddies. The first buddy he brings is bitterness. Bitterness is nothing more than anger that the sun has gone down on. Watch the progression. Progression. There is anger, bitterness, hatred, and murder. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5 that anger is at the root of murder. Because we, when we allow the sun to go down on our anger, we give Satan place. He comes to bring his buddy bitterness. If we still don't deal with it, it's hatred. Then if we still don't deal with it, it will lead to murder. You may not physically pull the trigger, but you've pulled the trigger in your heart. That's the progression. Let me just, let me just clear it up a little bit more. Notice he says, nor give place to the devil. When we allow the sun to go down on our anger, we give place to the devil. You know how you try to close the door and someone puts their foot in there to keep the door from closing? That's what we do. When we allow the sun to go down on our anger, we give Satan room to put his foot in the door. And watch this. It's been rightfully said, if you give Satan an inch, he will become your ruler. It's a thing that's done, and I see it done all the time. So watch this. Nor give place to the devil. Devil, the Greek word is diabolos. It's where we get slanderer, accuser. Let me just bring it closer to home for us. Ladies, when you allow the sun to go down on your anger, you give Satan place to turn you into the diabolos where you begin to accuse and slander your husband. Oh, second service, somebody, it was a man. Amen. You know, the whole place heard it. You get on the phone to your sister, to your mother. Can you believe he did? And now Satan has turned you into the Diablos. Oh, I see husband and wives. And he turns you into the Diablos. Or watch this. Or when you allow the sun to go down on your anger against anyone, a boss, a coworker, someone on social media, when you don't deal with that anger, you give Satan room, a place to turn you into the Diablos. And then you go around social media or whoever has an ear and you accuse and slander and blaspheme that person you're angry with. This is why as soon as you feel anger on the inside of you, the clock is ticking. You got to deal with it. So we got to put away lying. We got to put away anger we got to put away giving place to the devil. Then he said in verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. You see that? 
It says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let him who stole, past tense, steal, present tense, no longer. The Greek word for stole is kleptos. You, you can tell what word we get from that, kleptomaniac. It's a person who cannot stop stealing. Now, we can steal in a a variety of ways. We can steal the credit that belongs to someone else. We see that in 1 Samuel 13 when, um, when Jonathan, King Saul's son, won a great victory. Uh, you know, and everybody was cheering and everything. King, King Saul came up and stole the credit that should have gone to his son. What a horrible person. Who would do that? So we can steal the credit that belongs to someone else. Co-worker does something. The boss comes up, pats you on the back. Good job, good job. And instead of you saying, no, that was him over there. You're like, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I did put in some hard work there. You know, that, that's still in the credit. We all know that we can steal when it comes to tithing. We can steal when it comes to tithing. Malachi 3, 8 through 12 says, will a man rob God? We can steal from God when we don't tithe. Now, for you internet theologians who will try to go to whatever uh, website that would tell you tithing is not for Christians today, that's just, that's just not true. It's not true. Brother, tithing is under the law. Well, tithing preceded the law by 400 years. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all that he had. Preceded the law by 400 years. Jacob in Genesis 28, he said, God, if you bring me back to this place, I promise to give you a tenth of what I have. Why why a tenth? Why not a ninth, a thirteenth? Why not a a, one percent? Why a tenth? Because God told him. Tithing preceded the law. Tithing was in the law. Tithing was after the law. I don't have time to read you Matthew 23, 23, but you can chase that down for you note takers. So we can steal from God, rob God. And many people just think, no, I'm just not giving. No, you're, it's more than you're just not giving. No, you're robbing God. That's huge. It's, it's one thing. If you rob someone out here, you can get you a fancy pants lawyer to get you off. Who can get you off if you rob God? Okay. So we got to put away stealing. And then he says, but let him labor working with his hands that he may have something to give to those in need. The reason why God has given us jobs and given you up here some great, great paying jobs and um, <laughs> my son and I, we was looking at the medium income up, up in this area. And I was like, Tito, or Toto, should I say, we're not in Kansas anymore. I said, okay, this is how they're doing it up here. Okay, okay. So the reason why God has blessed you, so you can give to those who have need. Oh, if you don't get anything else, you you get this. We're most like God when we give and when we forgive. You can write that down, take that to the bank. We're most like God when we give and when we forgive. For God so loved the world he gave. We're most like God when we give and when we forgive. And I get to that if I don't run out of time. I ran out of time first and second service, but... You guys are third service, so you're going to get it all. <laughs> so, 
so God wants us to give to those who have need. Verse 29 is an amazing verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt word. The, the Greek word is sapros. And it means that which is rotten, that which is spoiled. It speaks of spoiled, rotten fruit. It's nothing like some rotten fruit hanging around, little fruit flies flying all over the place, irritating you. They're so quick, you can't smack them. You know, nothing like that. Well, th- that's the idea. Let no corrupt, spoiled fruit. Let no corrupt, spoiled, rotten words proceed out of your mouth. I- I'm amazed. I'm just amazed at how many people who call themselves Christians use profanity. I'm shocked by that. Let me tell you why. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the tongue goes down into the well of the heart and brings up what is there. Ephesians three seventeen says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So if Christ, if I repented of my sins and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, if he's in my heart, when the tongue goes down into my heart, it should bring up that which is Christ-like, that which is godly, that which will honor God, honor his word, that which comes out. So when someone is going to string four-letter words like it's nothing, I question your salvation. Well, Pastor John, that's judging. Yeah, I am judging them. Yeah. Oh, 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 said, he who is spiritual judges all things. You didn't know that was in there, did you? Yeah, it is. But you're well taught. It is in there. Matthew 7, 16 and Matthew 7, 20 says, it says, look, it says, you shall know them by their fruit, the fruit of their lives, the fruit of their words. Men calling their wives the B word, cursing out children and coworkers. And I just... I question that because my girlfriend back in the day, who is now my wife of almost 40 years, but my, my, yes, we got married at four. Okay. My girlfriend at the time, she used to always say, you have such a foul mouth, such a potty mouth. And so when I went into the Marine Corps, I just fit right in. Uh, you know, curse like a sailor, sailor, marine, you name it. I'll, I can string those words together. But when I repented of my sins, August 26, 1985, a marine led me to the Lord in Okinawa, Japan. I got on my knees and repented. The first place God cleaned up was my mouth. Within one week... That potty mouth was over. And then if one slipped out, I was like, I was horrified, mortified. Couldn't believe it. And Lord cleaned my mouth. So this is why I said, I question a person's salvation because the first place that should show the evidence of salvation is in our speech. So he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, meaning that we should speak words that should build people up, not tear people down. Man, can I talk to us for a minute? Especially, we can be really hard on our boys. 
And I just wonder, are we speaking words to them that's really building them up? And I know many of you come from my age and older and you come from an old school mentality where you just got to be tough on the boys. You got to you got to make them a man. And, you know, I understand that. I, I understand that I was all about that. I have three boys myself. But I just wonder if we if we've always done the best by them and spoke words that build them up instead of speaking words that ter- that, that, that tore them down. But here's the thing, because that's what was spoken to you. you. You had a father who spoke words that tore you down. So you said, look at how I turned out. And so you perpetuate that. And I just wonder if that's the best. Ladies, when it comes to your husband, does he always hear about what he's not doing? Do you ever speak Words that build him up? Words of edification? Or is it always words, like, there you go, leaving your clothes everywhere again. There you go, you know, want your help around the house, you know. I, I tell you, you know. It's in three weeks you said you were going to get to it. When are you going to get to it? And, you know. I know we procrastinate sometimes. Sometimes you get my age and older, you're tired. Just tired. Don't feel like doing it anymore. That's why I got somebody cut my grass. I, ain't, I know my back hurt. I ain't getting out there again, fighting them bugs, the sun all hot. No, I just pay somebody to do it. It's just easier. Feel like doing that, especially no housework. Uh. You know, when I see my wife looking, kind of looking around the house, I say, oh, my goodness, what are you, look, what are you looking at? Already I go and get, get in the ladder out of the garage. What do you need, you know? <laughs> Words of edification. Notice it said that it may impart grace to the hearers. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. God's unmerited favor, grace. It, when people hear us speaking to them, they should speak grace. You, you know how the Bible says about Jesus, it says they listen to the gracious words that came out of his mouth. That's how we should be speaking, gracious words. That our wives should be hearing gracious words. That our children, gracious words coming out of our mouths. Notice verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed to the day of redemption. Do not grieve. Greek lupeo. It means to cause pain to. Cause pain to. It, it, it means that when we lie and don't speak the truth, when we are angry and let the sun go down on our anger, when we give place to the devil, when we steal, when we allow corrupt words out of our mouths, then the Spirit of God in us is grieved. It's like, ooh. Now, if I was the spirit of God, I'd have been like, dude, I'm out of here. I can't take that. But no, it says we're sealed to the day of redemption. So we have to stop grieving. Watch this. This is, this is good here. I mentioned it all three services because I believe some folks need to hear it. And, and I want to make sure you don't misunderstand me. The fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit is love. Stop saying fruits. It's not fr- no. It's fruit singular of the spirit is love, agape love. 
And out of agape love comes joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control, you know. But watch this. The Spirit of God living in us is supposed to produce joy, love, joy, peace, joy. But when we are grieving the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is in us like this, then it doesn't produce joy in us. And then you end up, watch this, this is good. You end up with a bunch of Christians that are depressed. Because the spirit of God that's supposed to produce joy in you is grieved. Now, as I mentioned, all three services, don't send me any emails or anything talking about, whoa, clinical depression people. I don't want, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about joy that believers are supposed to have that is connected with the Holy Spirit that is not being produced because we're grieving the Spirit. How can the Spirit of God produce joy in us when we're grieving it? And it's like, ooh, it can't produce the joy in us. And many believers are missing out on being joyful because of grieving the Spirit. Look what it says there in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I love this verse. You know why? Notice what it says there. Let all bitterness. Remember, bitterness is when the sun goes down on our anger. Let all, notice that. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. You know what clamor is? <laughs> clamor is a great word. I, I love that word. It's a word that means, it, the, the Greek word is, is krauge. And it means to shout loud or loud quarreling. I'm so sick of you. I hate you. I hate you too. You know what you did in the car driving over here? <laughs> I remember there's been times that my wife and I were driving to some church event and we're getting into it in the car. And, and we get in the parking lot and she's like, okay, put on your face, put on your little pastor face. respond by saying why shouldn't they they didn't make you meet me mad you did so why should I take it out on them so I get out in the car hey praise the Lord how you doing I'm hey good to see you all right yeah okay and she I guess she expected me to get out I said they didn't make me mad you did we picked this up when we get in the car So clamor, we got to put it away. And the reason why I brought up let all bitterness, anger, wrath be put away, because there's some bitterness and anger that we feel justified in having. My husband left me for uh, his secretary and left me with four babies. My, my, my job fired me for no reason. And I'm upset and I'm angry. 
Oh, there's some other things I can just let go. But this, I feel justified. My best friend, my best friend uh, slept with my husband. And there's some anger, some bitterness that you feel justified in heaven. And Paul won't let you do it. He said, let all anger and bitterness raft. Notice evil speaking. I am shocked at the evil speaking of Christians of what they're doing to other Christians and what they're saying to other Christians. Evil speaking is blasphemia. It means to slander. It means to harm someone's character or reputation on social media. That's where all the cowards hang out because they say stuff on social media that they wouldn't say in your face. They just, I call them cowards. You know, they, 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 they blast you behind the phone, typing the phone. They blast you that way. Or they in their mother's basement pushing up their, you know, glasses and just being a, a nerd. And saying stuff that they would never say in your face, but they get behind a little screen and just weird. And say all kind of things that, that they would never say in your face. And I'm seeing this done. Guys with some social media leverage and just blast other Christians, other pastors. And I'm just like, this is blasphemia. Titus 3, 2 says, speak evil of no man. Why do we feel we can do that? Let it all go. Paul doesn't give us room to to hold on to some of it. He said, let it all go. I remember when I was when I first went to St. Thomas on a uh, on a cruise and um, it was back in 2005. And I never forget this guy. As soon as we got off this little we got off the ship and got in this little do the little excursion and we got to this one spot. As soon as we got off. The man was like, all right, Americans, let that money go. Let it go. And I never forgot this. I think of him all the time and crack up. With all the anger, wrath, all that, let it go. Let it go. You got to let it go. It's going to destroy you. Precious, beautiful women, you wear it on your face. That beauty, outward beauty that you have is being diminished because of the anger and bitterness that you're carrying. Let it go. Yes, he left you. Let it go. God has someone else for you. Let it go. He's been a jerk and God's going to get him. (laughs) All my wife has to say to me is, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Men, let me tell you, you don't mess with God's daughters. I'm a father of a daughter. I got three sons, but I got a daughter. You don't mess with my daughter. And then I got all granddaughters (laughs) and one grandson, but he's in Indiana with my oldest son. Uh, All granddaughters, you don't mess with my granddaughters, you don't mess with my girls. God is the same way. He will get you. 
you mess with his daughters, look at everyone, everyone on TV that messed with one of God's daughters, God dealt with them. I'm telling you from Tiger Woods, it don't matter. You look at anybody, you mess over one of God's daughters, you won't win again. You will be, your career will be jacked. I'm telling you, men, so I'm talking to somebody, don't mess with his daughters. If you know what's good for you, God doesn't take too kindly to that. Oh, I didn't say that the other two services. Somebody here needed to do that because you're thinking about messing over one of God's daughters. You will be in big trouble with God. He don't take that too kindly. So ladies, be, dry your tears. He was a jerk anyway. Let him go on and be a jerk, be a jerk to her. He wasn't all that good to you anyway. And God's going to bring you somebody that's going to love you for you. And go love you and not make fun of you and not talk about what's, imper- what's imperfect about you. Oh, see, I didn't say this to other two services. Somebody needs to hear that. One of God's precious daughters needs to hear that. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. He's a jerk anyway. Let him go. And if you introduced him to me, he would be walking up to me with a big L on his forehead for loser. <laughs> loser. He's a loser. And I, I tell folks all the time that the ladies be, and here's my friend. And the guy got a big L on his forehead. And then two weeks later, where's your friend? Well, it, it didn't work out. I bet it didn't. <laughs> Let me wrap it up with verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ forgave you. Oh, boy. Be kind to one another. Christians are not very kind today. You know you're not. Somebody cut you off. And then you can't wait to speed around them and then look at them like this. <laughs> and, so, and then somebody's trying to merge in, get in. They use the turn signal, does the right thing, and move in. And then you scooting up. <laughs> and then when they turn, go around you and, and stand there looking at you, you doing like this. You won't even look at them. You're just looking, looking straight ahead. We're just not kind. We're just mean people. As, I'm talking about believers, church folk. We're mean. We're mean. So be kind to one another. Tenderhearted is the opposite of hard-hearted. Tenderhearted. And then the Lord doesn't give us room to give our own definition to forgiveness. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Our definition of forgiveness is... I forgive you, but I won't forget. The Lord doesn't give us room for that. Forgiveness is the best definition I ever heard. Forgiveness is treating the person as if the offense never occurred. That's true forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness. See, God doesn't leave us room to come up with our own definition. Because he says, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Show me a person that doesn't forgive, and I'll show you a person that doesn't realize how much they have been forgiven. There's a lot of unforgiveness in this room. And I'm here to say, let it go. Just like anger and bitterness, it just destroys us. 
I remember giving a message in Matthew 18 called the prison of unforgiveness. Jesus said, when you don't forgive, he said, my father will send you to the torturers. Meaning that you will be tortured by unforgiveness. And I'm talking to some people here. You're tortured by unforgiveness. It has changed your countenance. Your whole personality has changed over what someone has done for you. And you failed to let it go. Let it go. Let the Lord heal your wounded heart. Let it go. Let it go. Because it will keep you. Keep you from being an imitator of God. As dear children of his. Let it go. Yes, it happened 50 years ago. You still holding on to it. Let it go. Let it go. So let me wrap it up. We have to put away lying. We have to put away anger, giving place to the devil. We have to put away stealing corrupt words out of our mouths. We got to stop grieving the spirit. We got to lay aside and put away all anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. And we got to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ forgave you. And now Ephesians 5 verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Father, I just pray for your people here. I pray your blessings upon them. I pray, God, that you would use them. Lord, in a powerful way, use them on on Capitol Hill. Use them, Lord, as Secret Service, FBI. Use them on the Nationals and the Washington football team. Use them, Lord. Use them, Lord, and on at the Pentagon. And all these places, these wonderful people work or retired or civil service. Oh, God, use them. Use them to be imitators of you as dear children. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.